Hello and welcome to Trust Issues, the show that explores the ins and outs of trust and why it matters so much in our lives. Today's episode is all about how you earn someone's trust. This is probably the most common question I'm asked because at the end of the day, we all want to be trusted. As I've dived into this trust issue with people, I found it's often the first impression, the first meeting or conversation that really fills us with dread. What is the first question that I should ask? How do I get people to open up? What should I not do? And what if I totally mess things up? I was thinking about whom to speak to around this theme on my way home while listening to an episode of Happy Place, Fern Cotton's massive hit podcast. She was having this incredibly raw and intimate conversation with the Olympian Kelly Holmes about the massive highs and lows in her life. And I started to wonder, how does Fern earn this kind of trust from her guests in every single interview, whether she's talking to Stephen Fry or Elizabeth Gilbert? And how does she do it in a way that doesn't feel forced, but completely effortless? That's why I am so excited that Fern is joining us today to explore the theme of earning someone's trust. Welcome, Fern. Hello. (laughs) You started on screen quite young, at 15 on Disney. Mm -hmm. I actually feel out too old to watch that show, which is a bit (laughs) depressing. (laughs) But do you think it was natural that you always had that sort of connection with people, whether it was through your voice or through the cameras? That's something you felt even at a young age. I don't know if I felt that, but I definitely, I knew in school I really liked words and talking to people and either trying to make them laugh in the playground or in class not listening to what was actually going on and saying to my friend, do you want me to write you a poem about that boy you fancy? Like I always wanted to, people would come to me to write little poems in class or to write little imaginative things because I was always on another planet, thinking about something else, not the boring stuff I had to do at school. I was always a huge dreamer. So I think I definitely looked outside of the box from a really young age, but I don't think I understood the connection, probably until really recently, to be honest with you. Mm. And I guess when I had a really interesting time in my life and career where everything changed, um, that's when I really understood that I could use my voice and and what I like doing in a positive way before I just think I was doing the job I knew I had to do let's talk a little bit more about happy place um so more than 10 million downloads it's Mm. amazing do you feel like you deserve the success um sometimes yes and sometimes no again it depends on my mood and, and how I'm feeling if I'm having a bad day, it could go either way. If I'm feeling a bit self-loathy, sometimes I can look for a quick fix of, yes, but this many people think you're okay. So there's there's a starting point and I can try and use that, which is not, you know, always the best way to go about it because I think it's in those moments I need authentic grounding. But then equally on other days, I'll think I don't deserve this if I'm in a bad mood. I don't deserve any of this. And I will just be, if I'm on a real self-loathing sort of bender. But then if I'm feeling pretty good, I think I just feel indifferent. I think what I, if I'm feeling really good and properly confident in myself and I like myself, I won't feel necessarily boosted by a number or a stat. I'll just really lock into the feeling of, 
I can't believe I've interviewed all these brilliant people and I got to sit here with Elizabeth Gilbert and what an amazing life experience. And I'll look at the experiences and sort of collect them like little souvenirs more than anything. So I've never been particularly stat-led. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing a podcast in the first place. Because mm. when I launched Happy Place, podcasts weren't really that cool and trendy. It was like, why is she doing a bloody podcast? People saw it as like, why has she gone from radio to doing a podcast? Really? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And then I watched this momentum grow within the whole podcast community and it makes more sense to people now. But And I've done lots of things in my career like that where I've jumped ship from big things. So I'm not stat-led or applause-led. I really, really need to enjoy what I'm doing mm. and I need to be creative. I have an absolute inner need to be creative every day if I can and if I don't I feel like shit mm. but it seems like in your professional life you're remarkable at taking these trust leaps you know that you take a a new risk that other people don't understand do you see again a difference between the way you can take those leaps in your professional life but there's a difference in your personal life yes but only more recently because of having kids I think before I had kids I was so gung-ho about everything I would just go for it I just thought you live once. I was absolutely just in that frame of mind constantly. Just do it. Just try. Go for it. And I think that's probably one of the main reasons that I've done well in anything I do is because I give stuff a go. I'm not the best broadcaster. I'm not the best artist. I'm not the best DJ. I'm not the best anything. But I always, always try. Mm. I've never not tried. And that doesn't mean I've done well never. in all of it. No, I have... If, if there's an opportunity that felt right, mm. it, I, I've definitely turned down things, but it's because it hasn't felt right. But if something's felt like this is worth a go, I try. I'll give it a bash, even if I'm terrified. Like when I first got offered the opportunity to cover for Zoe on breakfast, I was sat there going, I don't know if I can do that. That's a big show. Am I... Well, people think I'm qualified enough. Can I do the job? It's a lot of people listening. But then, it, you know, so there was doubt, but I still thought it's worth a try. I've just got to try it. And that's, um, I'm not saying that all of those moments have led to success because about half of them haven't, mm. maybe even more, have not gone well or I've been ridiculed and all sorts of horrible stuff has come from those moments. But I've always given stuff a shot. And I don't know where that trust comes from. I think it is sometimes a bit reckless um, because a lot of the time I don't have anything to fall back on. Like when I left Radio 1, I had zero jobs in the future, not a single thing booked. I was seven months pregnant. I don't know what the hell I was going to do. My parents aren't going to get me out of a jam if something goes wrong. So I think sometimes I've just thought it's still worth it because I, I just I know when I need a change. I know when I need to switch things up. And although change can feel quite traumatic, I know it always is very exciting and there's a lot of expansion within it, so it's worth a go. Are there any decisions that you don't trust yourself with, personally or professionally, where you're like... Definitely, again, personally, I think um, lots of stuff around parenting I find really confusing. Because like I said, before I had kids, I would just give everything a go. Mm. But now I've got two and two stepkids. So I've got two of my own kids and two stepkids who, uh, well, my kids certainly rely on me because they're tiny. The older ones, you know, they've got their own lives going on, but they still, I'm still a, 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 some sort of guiding force in their life. Um, so I'm needed in a practical sense, in an emotional sense. And my decision making feels very loaded always. Mm. And I get really confused around 
what is the right way of um, creating boundaries, discipline, all these things, because I'm so worried about making a mistake that's going to have consequences in the future for them. So it feels terrifying. Mm. So I am very indecisive and it it requires a lot of talking to other parents, my husband, um, professionals, to get an idea of what I should do. I find it sometimes debilitating those those decisions and it can be tiny things but I still find it very very tricky because this is not just about me and something going wrong for me this is other human beings that I am here to guide I've got to I've got to get it right or at least try and do my best Mm. and I think that's the hardest thing about being a parent without a doubt I think also one one things I find hard is if you go for the gold medal at work Mm. if that's the way you're naturally driven it's just accepting there's no gold medal for parenting nope. there's never no no one's ever there's not even eat. a bronze there's not even a cup a trophy nothing nothing it's, um that's really hard to accept if that's what you're used to striving for professionally so there's there's usually just sort of hummus thrown at you that's the end of the day <laughs> that's a good day <laughs> yeah that's a good day that's a really good day yeah I want to go back to Elizabeth Gilbert because um, I listened to that podcast and I love her work too. And it was really lovely the way you opened it because you said, I think it was something like, I made that happen. I don't know if you remember saying mm. that, how you made this happen. Mm. And so I'm intrigued as to why she was number one on your list and what it felt like to really, to make that happen. Oh, it was just amazing. It was one of those total career highs like I think people would probably assume something like going to the NTAs is a career high or wearing a dress on a red carpet I couldn't give a toss about any of that some of it's fun but for me it's those moments where I had a thought and then it happens I find that just Mm. bizarre she was top of my list so we, we we kind of sat down over two years ago now and um and I was like right we're gonna do this podcast who's on the list me and Holly, who's sat over there, um, wrote a big dream list of who we wanted on the podcast. And she was top of the list. Next down was Brené Brown, who I also mm. love. And these are two women um, who I have found massively helpful in my everyday life from their writing, um, talks they've done, any other articles they've written or been part of. I have found everyone sort of profound and something I've had to keep going back to. And Elizabeth, although I'd never met her before, I didn't know her, I felt like I did. There felt like some sort of connection from her writing. And I I think very sort of flippantly and naively thought, well, we're just going to get on like a house on fire <laughs> because you just assume that you know someone. And that's the beauty of someone who's a brilliant writer. So she was top of the list and I kept trying to find these different routes of getting to her because although people may think this is a huge team that I have, no, no, it is me. I book all the guests and I hunt them out somehow and find out who looks after them and have endless email conversations with them until I get to that person. And it was just one of those. What and did you write to her? What did you say to her? Well, I found through my literary agent, we tracked down her publicist and I sent a very lovely cordial email saying what a huge fan I am and a bit about the podcast She happened to be over here for City of Girls doing her book tour and our dates aligned. And it was just one of those magic moments. Mm. And it was in this very studio, weirdly. And it just did just feel incredible. I loved every minute of the interview. Mm. And it was it was better than I could have imagined. She was so lovely and willing to chat and willing to just 
be herself. And it's those small victories for me that mean more than anything because I did it. It wasn't somebody else offered me a huge show and I took part. I did that. And Mm. it felt, that was like the most brilliant bit of creation. I just loved it. It was a really nice full circle moment. So you mentioned Brené. BB, as we call her, mm, BB. Um, who, yeah, she's amazing to watch oh. on stage. She's amazing. But she's made me think really different about trust and vulnerability. Mm. So um, often people talk about trust is this ability to be vulnerable with another person, whereas the way she talks about it is actually the biggest way to earn trust is through vulnerability. Mm. So you don't necessarily need trust to be vulnerable it's through vulnerability that we really earn trust yeah I wondered if you've seen that in interviewing people is that when you get to that place of vulnerability you see this sort of battery of trust being supercharged I think so I think in an interview dynamic there's got to be that connection has to take place through that process and I think again there's some sort of magic that's almost inexplicable because Often you don't know that person that you're going to interview. You've never met them before, so you can't gauge that. You have no idea where they're at in their life, what they're going to feel like that day. So it's only down to you and how you present yourself. And I think it is a very potent sort of combination of feeling confident enough to go into that situation, but also being vulnerable enough to roll with the punches Mm. and see what happens and put yourself in that space where you can be a risk taker. But you can't force it. I think force. You running. can't force it. I think it's all of it's got to come from an authentic place. Otherwise, none of it works. Mm. Especially if that's the language you're dealing with. If you're just doing a chat about, tell me about your new film. What's it like? Whatever you know, roll in from the pub and go for it. But if you want to have a chat where you're getting into it, I think you have to arrive, you know, in that space and and hope that they they feel that mm. it's a visceral thing that they get it and then they relax into a similar space as you um doesn't always work out like that and sometimes it takes a little bit of work as you get going but yeah i think it you can really apply that to an interview situation and yeah hope that that little magic bubble occurs. I don't know. Have you, have you come across Dan Coyle's work? No. I think you'd really like his work. Okay, so um, Coyle, Dan Coyle, he wrote an amazing book called The Culture Code and he talks a lot about vulnerability and he talks about in teams and professional contexts but also in our personal lives that what often goes wrong is he calls it the vulnerability loop. So someone throws a vulnerable moment to you and you don't catch it mm. and then the loop breaks and that what you actually want to do, really healthy relationships, really healthy conversations, you can feel that loop being continuous. Mm. And it's really helped me sometimes thinking someone just really emotionally exposed themselves and I felt uncomfortable and didn't catch it. And how must that feel to be the other person? And that is the worst thing you can do for trust. It's yeah. really interesting. I think I've probably felt that more so in real life than I have in an interview because I think, like, as I said, for the podcast mainly I've reached out to people that I think are willing to be vulnerable, so it works. But I've had it in conversations where I've probably felt a bit too friendly with someone instantly and said something quite exposing or... Because I like going straight for the jugular and going deep. And often it, you know, I have had those moments where they haven't, you know, caught that vulnerability and they've just sort of not replied. And it is... Sometimes I... um, 
I keep trying. I just keep throwing another one out there and then another one. Then you come away feeling quite depleted, I think, in those situations. You have to read Dan's book. I'm going to read it. Because it's also when you're being too vulnerable, like you haven't read the situation and it's so interesting. I'm getting it. Yeah, if you love Brené, you'll love Dan's work. Okay, that's happening. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you like this label. I hate labels. But you have become somewhat of a guru. I know it's cringeworthy, but for mental health. It feels too grand. Does it? Yeah, definitely. Because I just, I, you know, I, unlike you, um, I'm not trained or educated in an area. All of the stuff I'm talking about is from experience. Life experience, what I've lived, what I know from that, and empathy. That's all of it. So I'm happy to be everyone's friend in that situation, but I can't put myself on any pedestal or say I am this because I don't feel it. I'm just... And also I'm not like at a place where I've got it all sussed. I'm still going through loads of stuff that find I find really difficult, hence why I keep talking about it. Because mm. that's my therapy, keep talking about it. So I, I want to be everyone's mate and that's kind of where I feel comfortable. So one of the reasons why I hate guru, I hate expert as well, is I worry that people place too much trust in you. So I am not comparing you to Gwyneth Baltrow and <laughs> Goop, don't worry. But she is a wellness guru. Mm, and guru. Guru. Because of the trust people have in her, she then gets to have influence over areas of their life, which I personally think she shouldn't influence, whether it's what we do with our vagina or vaccinations. Steaming that vagina. Steaming old jade, whatever it mm. was. Do you ever worry about that, that now you've become this voice for mental health, that there could be too much trust placed in you? Well, one thing I've been very careful to not do is prescribe things. So in any of the books, all the podcasts, but certainly the books, because I talk in depth about things I've been through, I will talk about things that I have found helpful and I interview a lot of great minds in the different areas I'm looking at who are trained to give actual advice or direct you to a place where you would get it. But I never say, do this and you're going to feel amazing. Mm. I've been absolutely careful not to do it because I've tried all those things and it's a slippery slope. You've got to find your own way of feeling okay I'm not talking about like euphoria here I'm talking about just waking up and knowing you can cope with the day ahead and that is a bespoke practice and all I've tried to do in any of the any of the books is communicate that that you've got to tap into your intuition and gut feeling of what is right for you Mm -hmm. and it's looking at how you build the confidence to do so so you know there's that side of it and also Yes, possibly people might cling on to things I'm saying or hope that what I'm saying is going to change everything. You know, sometimes a podcast episode might give someone the confidence to go and try something new or whatever. Amazing. But I guess there's not much you can do about it. I've probably been the same with Brené and Elizabeth Gilbert in reading a book and then going, I'm changing everything in my life or Mm. whatever. And I wouldn't say I'm putting all my trust in them. I don't want to put the responsibility on them. I think they've inspired me to try something new. So I think it's looking at where your responsibility lies and all the people listening to podcasts or reading the books, hopefully they will feel good after reading them or 
not as alienated as they might have before. But I think you've still got to then take responsibility in how you react to that material. Hmm. I And this isn't a criticism. I was interested that you called it happy, happy place, because I actually have an issue with the idea of happiness. I think happiness is oversold and is quite fleeting that we experience Mm. moments of happiness and that what I actually search for is joy Mm. and I wondered if you've ever well two things if you've ever thought about the difference between joy Mm -hmm. and happiness yes I mean certainly with the first book um I wanted to call it happy because I wanted it to be very simple and that was essentially the subject matter that I was picking apart Mm. because the book's really about depression but that was kind of where the starting point was and the end page of the book is my sort of conclusion as to how I feel about happiness having felt very depressed been on antidepressants written the book and the word fleeting was something that I highly concentrated on because it is and I talked about it in the book that we all think happiness is an end goal or somewhere we're going to get to in the future. And I dissected this a lot in the book. Whereas it's not, like you say, it's little pockets that will arrive unexpectedly or through thought and pre-planning or whatever. I don't think I even really search for joy anymore. I don't even go that high. I just hope and trust those moments will be scattered throughout whenever my life But actually, what I'm searching for is to feel okay. Mm. Because I've had such self-loathing and still am partial to a lot of self-loathing, I'm cool when I just feel okay. Mm. And then that is the most, you know, robust foundation for whatever else happens in that day. So as long as I'm feeling grounded, then I'm good. Joy can happen when it happens. I'm not going to try and strive for it or be desperate for it, happiness or joy. It's just feeling okay. That, for me, is a strong enough point to help other people, to properly see what's going on around me, to listen to other people and to hopefully make good choices. Well, one of the reasons why I want to speak to you is because I think you've given a lot of thought to this relationship between trust and happiness and one of the things I observed about happy is that it's really told through the stories of people that you trust and that are in your inner circle so I'm interested in how you decided to trust those people and let them in. I think I've definitely always been overly trusting of everyone and I remember that from even being a teenager just thinking everyone else was amazing I was the one that was slightly flawed or lacking but everyone else around me was cool fun exciting amazing so I think I probably always over trusted everybody and then I've learned that lesson the really hard way over the years but the people I think that have weirdly just ended up in my life over the last five years are all these brilliant minds from really different backgrounds with really different life experience and I've been able to extract all of these wonderful stories and moments and wisdom for the books and the podcast and now the festival so that other people can hear what they're about because I the thing I guess I get frustrated about is there's people out there who are hugely and and this is not about success hugely known hugely watched photographed plastered all over social media who are highly influential whereas I know people like one of my friends Jared Kite who's a five element acupuncturist Rebecca Dennis who's a breath uh, coach who have these extraordinary minds and I think why doesn't everyone follow what they do <laughs> yeah because they're 
incredible. So I'm just trying to use all of these brilliant people constantly to fill in the gaps and the bits that I don't know about to create a much more full-bodied bunch of material that people can digest and process alongside my anecdotes and my experience that have the backing of um, study and understanding and also case-by-case analysis with people that they work with daily patients. So um, I feel really lucky these people are in my life and I do trust them implicitly. And that is a gut feeling. That is, I I get that this person has something valuable to say and they've They've all helped me in a, in a certain way. And now I want other people to experience that as well. Has there been an experience where you completely trusted the wrong person and it had a real impact on your life and your happiness and that now when you look back, you can go, I understand how I gave my trust away too easily and I'm never going to make that same mistake again? Yeah, um, countless times. I mean, there have been some so catastrophic that I'm not willing to talk about them. Um, ones that have had huge detrimental effect to all areas of my life. And then ones less so, but have still, you know, been potent enough to throw me off course. Partners, friends, work colleagues. It's happened so many times. I'm no different to anybody else out there where I have really trusted people. And um, and I think it's, it's really hard when it's friendships mm. because... You know, I love having friends and I love being a friend and I will give that friendship as much as I possibly can. And I have been burnt over the years and have felt really hurt when it's it's not even been, um, not reciprocated, but it's just been discarded of. And I've felt like I was sort of free falling and also like it, there's something wrong with me. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I wasn't a good friend. I don't deserve a good friend. I'm a bit boring. I'm not fun enough. Um, I, that's what I always think. I'm a bit boring. Like, why do they want to hang out with me? That's obviously why it happened or whatever. That's happened a bunch of times. And and then I get it with work all the time. I mean, mm. I've had it... I've been working for 22 years and I've been dealt loads of these cars. We were like, oh my God, this job's going to be amazing. I trust everyone around me. It's going to be awesome. It's going to catapult me to my next great thing. And then they just drop you. And you don't even get told. And that has happened to me again so many times. Mm. And that, again, is a big confidence knock. And I'm not necessarily built for this industry. I'm not tough-skinned and, you know, robust in that way. I am really highly sensitive to everything and everyone around me. So I've taken a lot of these situations badly. Mm. Do you know there's something um, that's really helped me? There's this saying that trust has two enemies, not one, bad character and poor information. Mm. And what's interesting is because I feel like I'm an intuitive person, I work by my instincts, that in my personal life where it often goes wrong is a bad judgment of character. Mm. Whereas in my professional life, it's because I've never had enough information about that person, about that show, about that decision. That's very true. I think... And it's really hard with the more personal circumstances when it's been a bad judgment of character because I think you again put so much blame on yourself. How did I not I'm an idiot. Yeah. see that? Or mm. did I attract that person into my life? Did I want or, it even? Did, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, really tricky, that one, to process and pick yourself up from and feel okay about yourself. I mean... It's inevitable. It's going to happen to all of us. And it's the only way we're going to learn. But it doesn't make it any easier. 
Especially when they break your trust and you go back in again. Yeah. And then you go back in again and then you start to go, maybe I am looking for this. That's Yeah, I think it's looking at um, the dynamic and the role that you usually take on. You know, are you the role of the caregiver, mm. the people pleaser, the you know matriarchal person in your group, whatever, and going, do I need to always be that person? And I think that's a really tricky one because then you go, why am I like that? And you go back into your childhood and look at your parents and their parents and it goes on forever. So, you know, that's all part of it. But it's it's a lot. You have to unearth a lot of worms. So if you had to leave listeners with a thought around the way you think about trust and happiness, and that could be trust in yourself, it could be trust in others, it could be the way you earn trust from people, what would that be? I think the only one I feel um, willing to confidently share is about taking risks and this is not like go out guys and do something crazy today but I think if you are making a decision and it feels risky and there are there are pros and cons I think it's so worth however you want to do it meditating or just sleeping on it locking into that intuitive feeling I'm really going with it. And even if everybody else is telling you that it's a bad idea, still do it. Because I and trust in it. Because I've done that so many like so when I left Radio One, everyone's you are mad. What are you doing? It's the best job out there. You're insane. There wasn't a single person who didn't say that. But I just knew I wanted a change. So you've got to trust in what you know is right for you. Don't worry about what everyone else wants to do or what everyone else thinks you should do. Mm. Do what you want to do because you're you. You're the only you and it's your future, not theirs. You've got to make it work for you. So I think those moments you've got to got to trust. I've just realised my legs being crossed for an hour and my leg is completely <laughs> dead. So you sort of lightly tap <laughs> no, it no, under I the can't table. feel it. <laughs> Actually, I had to just tell you if I'm pulling a funny face, it's because it's it's gone. So you need to do some star jumps or something. God no. Um, but thank you so much for sharing so much today, Fern. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. What really stayed with me from my conversation with Fern is the power of being honest about your feelings with another person because it invites honesty in return. It's through these repeated moments of vulnerability that we earn trust and create deep connections. But it doesn't happen by accident. Fern is so open about her own self-doubts, perceived weaknesses and shortcomings. In our conversation, you can hear her continually signaling her own fallibility to me, which makes me do the same. It reminds me of the brilliant work of Dan Call, who I mentioned in the podcast. He calls this process the vulnerability loop. It's so powerful when we master it in our own lives. Indeed, the most powerful word someone can say when it comes to trust is I screwed up. If you enjoyed this conversation with Fern, I'd highly recommend listening to her podcast, Happy Place, and check out her conversation with Elizabeth Gilbert. Trust Issues is researched by Phoebe Abler-Ryan. Matt Hill carefully edits the conversation and decides what we should leave in and what we should cut out. And the music is Happy Place by Freggy. Please do subscribe to Trust Issues on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And then without having to do anything, the episodes will be on your phone every Monday. The next episode is one of my favourite psychologists, the best-selling author, Adam Grant. I'm Rachel Botsman and thanks for listening. Thank you.